0: Okay, Luke 2. Luke chapter 2. We're making our way through Jesus' early life. Last week we were in the middle of chapter 2 where we saw his parents bring him as an infant to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated. He um, was really unique about this dedication. He was dedicated twice. First, according to the letter of the law... Uh, In the Old Testament, then quite dramatically by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simeon, in verse 24, described as a just and devout man, just came in. And he uh, was said, it says there, he was led by the Holy Spirit. And he he took the infant up into his hands and declared for all to hear that this is the light that will bring revelation to the nations. And so... uh, He was dedicated by the Holy Spirit. It's God's way of telling the world that the old, the the law, the the covenant of the law was being abolished and it was being replaced by the new. Tonight we're in Isaiah chapter 49 where Jesus himself is described as the new covenant. He is the new covenant. And so uh, the baby Jesus at the temple being... Uh, dedicated by the Holy Spirit, just ushering a brand new season in the relationship of God's people uh, to to himself, a different relationship based upon uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 39 is where we ended last week. It says, so when they had performed all The all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, their own city, Nazareth. And Nazareth, Jerusalem's in the south of Israel, Nazareth is in the north. Uh, And if you remember from our study of Luke chapter 1, Nazareth was a place that was despised uh, by the uh, people in Israel. And the verse in Isaiah that we keep on coming back to is... Isaiah uh, chapter 53, verse 3. Again, he was despised and rejected by men. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. We esteemed him not. And we, as we've been seeing, uh, that's not only the cross that that describes. It, it was his very birth. He was, ber- he was born in and placed in a feeding trough. Of a donkey or a camel. That's what a manger. Manger is not just a nice homey word for something that's really not really homey at all. It's a feeding trough. And he came and grew up uh, in Nazareth. The apostle Philip, when he was told that, wow, we found the Messiah. Where is he from? He's from Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And and so... um, Jesus, tempted, tested, tried in every way, the Bible says, just like we have been. And he knows what it's like growing up on the wrong side of the track. And, and, And so Nazareth, they returned to Nazareth. And then in verse 40, which we read at the outset, it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, verse 40, these verses where we're going to be in this morning to actually 40 through 52, which is the end of the chapter. These two verses, chapter uh, verses 40 and 52, they're unique in that no other gospel account has anything like it that describes Jesus' life between the time uh, he was around 2 and the time he was 30. There's no other account of that, uh, really. Really? Um, Uh, anywhere in in the gospel records, just in Luke. And one thing that really stands out to me about uh, these verses, verses 40 through 52, is that verse 40 at the beginning and verse 52 at the very end, they say the same thing. The beginning of Luke's description of Jesus' childhood and the end of his description says the same thing, and I want to focus on that for a minute in verse... 40, it says that the child, Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit. And then at the very end, in verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He grew, and he increased. He kept growing in godly wisdom and maturity from the beginning and really to the end. And that can be said at right the time he, he, he went to the cross. Uh, and, and now remember, Jesus is not only our Savior, he's not only our Savior, he died for us on the, uh, on the cross and paid for our sins. He's not only our Lord and our Master who we give our life every day, that we surrender to every day, he's our example. Now, some churches, that's all they talk about. He's just the example, and, they, and, and they've eliminated the whole thing that goes with the cross and the blood, and ugh, that stuff's uh, antiquated, and it's, it's old. But no, that's supremely what he is. He's our savior, and he died for us. But let's not forget he's our example, and there's a wonderful example right here for us that, that we should imitate. We are ever and always supposed to continue to grow and increase with the Lord our whole life. There's nothing in the Bible that ever indicates that we reach some time in our life where um, we sort of just go on autopilot, you know, click, you know, I'm on autopilot now, I've arrived. uh, There's no such thing as being on a plateau in the Christian life, either you're going upward towards heaven or you're going backward, downward. The Bible's clear about that. And this is a really good example here about Jesus' life. Our example, he grew and became strong in spirit, verse 40 says, and he increased in wisdom and stature. And so listen, it doesn't matter how many years and how wonderfully or strongly you have grown with God, doesn't matter how many years, there will be always problem areas with your Character. Yes, your character until the day you die. But you're never supposed to start seeking God and laying hold of him for him to change those things by giving you the grace to obey and, 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 and move on. You know, I, I tell you, I speak to my own heart here, especially my heart. Actually, (laughs) for the last couple years, I've been an assistant soccer coach for my my daughter Grace's team, and um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And the girls are actually really good, really good. At the end of they they actually won their section last year, and at the end of the last, um, at the end of the. Last year I was thinking to myself, mm, you know it'd be really nice to be head coach someday <laughs> daydreaming and lo and behold last summer the head coach was assigned to another team so all of a sudden I'm the head coach now just a little bit about this girls' team this 12 year old girls' team they've known each other for years and they just adore each other. And so when they get to practice and see each other, they are suddenly like totally out of control. Okay? And and a little bit more background. Unlike a lot of other coaches, I don't have an assistant coach. There's another coach that has three assistant coaches. I have Zippo at practice. Except from time to time. Once once a month, someone shows up. So I'm on my own, okay? And, 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 and trying to deal with really... Bizarre 12-year-old girl behavior, okay? You know, like in the middle of practice, all of a sudden, they're putting the soccer balls underneath their shirt. And, well, look, I'm pregnant, you know, walking around. <laughs> uh, or, or right in the middle of a, a, a practice scrimmage, a, a practice game, right in the middle of it, all of a sudden, There'll be two or three little groups of girls of three or four just talking with each other right in the middle of the scrimmage. Just, you know, I don't know what they're talking about, their their charm bracelet or, or their whatever, their hair, the color of their iPod. I, I, and, 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 you know, or, or right in the middle of practice, still two or three of them will just lie down <laughs> next to each other. Just plop right on the ground, and, and you're so I'm on one side of the field just yelling out, hey, you know, for the 10th time, can you break up that chat session or get up or take that ball from underneath your shirt, you know, this type of deal. <laughs> you see what God will do when you daydream about vain, meaningless things? So anyway, after practice last Thursday, all this pain is fresh in my mind. After practice last Thursday, this um, little girl comes up to me. I'm fried. Eliza, actually, some of you met her at the church picnic. I just love her. She's a little redhead that came to the church picnic. And she comes up to me and says, Steve, you've gotten so strict since you became head coach. You know something? Don't you know that you're not supposed to yell at little girls? And I'm like, this is great, Pastor Steve, the yeller coach, <laughs> you know, the, the yeller pastor, you know. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just g- going home and, Lord, am I really supposed to be doing this? Yes, there's always room to improve and grow our character in Christ, <laughs> and, and and you know we're never supposed to resign in some area of our life, even when we failed for the thousandth time. And I know if you've been walking with the Lord for five, ten, or thirty years, it gets discouraging failing at something when you failed ten thousand times before. But 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 hear the example of Christ at the bookends of this little section of his life at the big one bookend he grew at the latter bookend he increased and i believe in the greek it's uh, the gerund tense meaning a continuing continuing growing and increasing thank god for the grace of god you know, not a week goes by that I don't meditate on this verse. Not a day goes by, I, really. It's just one of my life verses. And, and it, I, I just feel like anyone who's been walking with the Lord for any measure of time needs to have each little phrase of this verse in 2 Corinthians uh, memorized or part of their soul. It says, but we all Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, just stop there. Beholding as in a mirror, meaning continually, like a mirror, you're looking at the face and the life of Jesus every single day. But we all, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, meaning it doesn't matter if you failed for the thousandth time. Glory, there's another glory ahead of you. So the glory could just as well be translated from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. He's going to get, you're going to be increasing if you, if, if you're seeking the Lord in your life. You're going to be going and increasing, growing until the time that you die or Jesus comes for his church. And then, but how is it really, how has all this happened? It seems impossible. Just as by the spirit of the Lord. It's, it's. Just We talked about at the beginning of the service. Jesus, dedicated by the Spirit. Each one of us receives the Holy Spirit. And we continue uh, to grow. And thank God, because I called that coach with three other assistant coaches. And I said, do you mind if we combine our practices? And he said, yes. So now there's going to be those little 12-year-old girls. I know they'll still kick our butts, okay? But there, well, there's going to be five coaches there, you know, dealing with them. And so... Uh, Anyway, it'll make it a little uh, a little e- easier. So, m- and so, the example of Jesus uh, uh, just growing and increasing. And so, in verse forty-one, it says, "His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover." And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And so, just a couple things about these verses. It says that his parents went to Jerusalem every year. Every year. Now, there's something notable about that. And that's why we go verse by verse. We don't want to miss anything here. Uh, And when we see they're, they're going every year... The thing that I want to focus on is that both parents went. Why is that interesting? Because under Jewish law, only the males 21 and over were required to go. So Mary could have stayed home. And guess what? That would have been good enough. It would have been good enough. Mary, would have been, it would have been good enough for her to stay home. Now, how many of you have seen that movie, *Courageous*? Oh man, you all gotta see it! Come on, what's wrong with you? <laughs> it's it's a, it, it's a movie that's out. It's it's unfortunately up here in New England, it's only playing in a few places. Jesus Christ, it's all about Jesus Christ, and it's in the movie theaters. And it's about courageous parenting and and Christ-like parenting. And and if you guys, well, that sounds a little boring, man. There's some really... really full-on cops and gang scenes, okay? So, you know, they throw that in there just to feel like if you're one of those people who uh, think it's going to be too bored going to a movie about parenting. But, you know, in one of the scenes, guys were sitting around a table talking about being fathers, and one of the guys began talking about the fact that he was making some major adjustments Based upon his reading of the Bible in his life. And one of the guys turned to him and he goes, Come on, you, you know, you're a good enough, you're a good enough father. You're good enough. And he turned to the guy and he said, I'm not interested in being good enough anymore. Good enough doesn't cut it. And you know, something that doesn't. Not in the year 2011 in the United States of America. You're not going to get away with good enough being a parent anymore. The Bible has a lot to say of being a godly mom and dad. Anything short of obeying all of it. I'm telling you, your, your kids could be in a lot of trouble. And listen, back to this example of Mary here. The number one and most important part of parenting, and I could talk, chew your ears off on these subjects on parenting, is your own relationship with Jesus. And this movie actually makes a big deal of that. Separate and a part of anything, any interaction you have with your kid, your most important thing is your own one-on-one relationship relationship with Jesus. Dads, are your is your relationship with Jesus thriving? Moms, is your relationship with Jesus thriving? The best thing you can give to your kids. Now, Mary here, separate and apart from any interaction she may have had with her son, Jesus, she didn't settle for good enough. She could have stayed home when her husband went up to Jerusalem. She didn't. She went up to Jerusalem um, every year um, as well. Why? To be touched by the life of God. Why? Because to, to grow in the Lord through the rich experience of the Passover feast, which was all about the grace of God. A little more on that later. But moms, dads, we can learn from this section only in the book of Luke. Don't settle for good enough. So they go up to this Passover feast. Verse 43 says this. It says, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. Verse 44, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So Mary uh, went to Joseph and said, so where's Jesus? Joseph says, what do you mean, where's Jesus? Jesus was with you. He says, no, no, he he was with you. You lost the Messiah, (laughs) you know? Uh, So, you know, what's going on here? So, listen, again, it was a law in the Old Testament that every year, every male over 21 and over had to go to Jerusalem, which meant what? Jerusalem had literally at the time, I forget who it was, some historian, Josephus, millions of people in Jerusalem at this time, where during the year there maybe be a couple hundred thousand people, and... Not entire villages, but, but sort of like that. That was the idea, would just pick up and go. Extended families of hundreds of people in a caravan type of deal. And, uh, you know, what happened? They had been in Jerusalem for the week, and someone said, "Bus to Nazareth, go now to XYZ point. Jesus didn't hear. He stayed behind. Joseph and Mary thought they were, he was just with the relatives, and they went on a full day. They went on a full day. And so in verse um, uh, in verse 45, we pick up there. It says, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. In verse 46, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. So... Just pause and reflect on that. Jesus now listening and asking questions. Just remember one of our themes of our study this morning imitating Jesus' example in, in, our, in, in our lives. You know, nothing is more encouraging to me than when I see young men and women. Old men and women listening and asking questions. Because there's only one way. Anyone, including myself, and I I listen. Every week I'm listening to CDs and tapes and stuff like that from, from other pastors. The only way to grow and increase is to listen and ask questions. I love this verse. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. And we need to just let that speak to our own heart because at some point in our Christian lives, brothers and sisters, we need to shut our mouths, listen, be slow to speak, quick to listen. And ask questions and take in and learn and man if Jesus the boy Jesus was doing this we need to as well so Jesus here sitting in the midst of the teachers and and the interesting thing about it by the way is remember every Jewish male 21 and over from all over the world is here they had the best of the best here was Gamaliel here uh, famous rabbi some of you have heard of Hillel he was reportedly alive at this point Nicodemus Was he here? I mean, Jesus was taking it in. I just love it when someone first comes to Jesus, and they're just sucking up all the best pastors, teachers, uh, uh, and and just taking it in and being like a sponge. We're all supposed to be like sponges. Particularly, the example of Jesus' is doing it. And verse 47 says, And all who heard him were astonished as understanding and answered and that answers and that word astonished in the Greek it's it's the word existemi, which if other places that word is used it's it's to describe the reaction of onlookers when Jesus does a miracle for example mark two when he raises the paralytic that guy that crushed you know the hole in the in the in the ceiling of a the, a roof and they lowered this paralytic and Jesus healed him it says the same exact word. It says they were amazed, astonished. And, 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 and that's what's going on here. They're, when he did open his mouth, they're like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> it was a 12-year-old boy here. And, and, and so, you know, the Lord, he is the son of God. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he knows what it's growing up in wisdom and stature. Uh, he knows what that's like just like the rest of us. Verse 48 says, so when they, his parents, saw him, they were amazed and his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now that translation, anxiously, look, that's the same word that's used to describe the rich man and that Jesus story about the rich man and Lazarus where the rich man's in hell. That's the same word. That's used, and any of you who have a kid and have lost that kid even for 90 seconds knows exactly what Luke means here. It's just an awful feeling. When your kid is gone, you know, whatever, you're in an apartment store and they're hiding in the middle of a clothing rack and, you know, you're just imagining them in the trunk in a car, you know, zooming away. It's This is like real, you know, and so they're like, why did you do this to us? Look, your father and I have been seeking you. Um, and he says in verse 49, he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business now how long were they seeking him? it says three days right at least three days it says that for 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 three days uh, in verse 46 they found him at the temple and and some people uh, you, you know uh, believe this should be translated my father's house it, it really it the 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 literal way of translating is that did you not did you not know that I must be about my father's? So it's unclear, like what the next word's supposed to be. So it's my father's business, my father's will, and so the thought being that, look, for three days you've been looking for me. Didn't you know I would be here? Now this is important. You know, I I, I have tended in in the past just to skim over th- this story, uh, in Luke, but. There's a critical piece here. This is a reminder to them of what Jesus' mission was. Now, remember, they had been told by the angel of the Lord what his mission was. That he was Messiah. He was Savior. And uh, they had lost sight of it. I believe that's what's going on here. uh, They've lost sight of... Yes, in one sense, he was a kid like any other kid. He had to share a room with someone. He had to do chores and, 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 and you know, and this type of thing. But he was Messiah, and he, he, here he is going about his um, father's business. And, and, and listen, moms and dads, or future moms and dads, another very important lesson here about parenting here. What is it? Well, let me ask you, parents, moms and dads. Before the Lord, I have a question for you. Are you okay, really, really now, are you okay with your son and daughter going full on for Jesus? Are you okay with that? Really? Or is your attitude the typical american christian parent well you know i definitely of course yeah i want my 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 child to be a good christian young man but you know he, he needs to make sure he doesn't do anything that would risk establishing a good career and the foundation for its home and family i heard a sermon quoting a missionary who had been on the field for years and years and he said the biggest hindrance to foreign missions in the united states of america is not raising enough money to send people. It's not the lack of men and women who are ready, willing, and able. It's not opportunities on the mission field. It's Christian parents. Christian parents are the greatest hindrance to foreign missions in America. A missionary? You want to be a missionary? You know, this. Who's going to support you in retirement? There's no 401K, you know, for, for, for them. And, and besides, who's going to take care of me? <laughs> hey, you laugh. This happens all the time. Jesus says later on in Luke, unless you hate your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, your children, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. What does he mean? earth does he mean by that it's making your son your daughter as an idol turning them into an idol and trying to keep them locked in your you know next to your bosom and not letting them become everything who god wants them to be you know my son sam He's in the small Republic of, Muslim Republic of Kosovo right now, on a missions trip. You know, and he's telling us, you know, I'm really, really having to completely reevaluate what the priority is for my life. I need to be okay with that. Parents, you need to be okay with that. God's best is always our best. There's always a blessing there. And so there's a reminder here to Joseph and Mary. Jesus needs to be full on about his father's business. His father's business. And so in verse 50 they did not understand the statement that which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So he went back to Nazareth. Now there's something I think also really wonderful about verses 49 through 51 here. This whole thing about Jesus saying he's about father's business. You know something? He was 18 years away from his public ministry. He was 12. That's what, he, you know, that's how old he was at, 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 at this time. And yet it says that he's doing his father's business. So listen to me. If You have sought the Lord for his will in your life. If you've been sincere and and genuine about that, and he's given you direction and you're in it, and there's a peace there, there's been a peace there, that's what you're doing now is your father's business. He said, I want to be a nurse someday, but I'm in school right now. Listen, being in school is as much as your father's business as being a nurse is. You know, whatever. I I, I'm gonna be married someday. Well, being single as much as your father's business as being married someday is. Being in your job is your father's business. Being a neighbor is your father's business. We learn right here in verse fifty one that he was subject to his father and mother. Being a son, being a daughter is. Your father's business is that it's as much as what God wants you to do today as what He's going to do with you at some point in the future. I love that. I love that insight given to us there by the Holy Spirit. But let me conclude with this: It's fascinating to me that this whole section about Jesus' childhood and going to Jerusalem is centered around what the Passover. The Passover feast. So what exactly is the Passover? The Passover was celebrating something that had taken place about, I don't know, about 1,500, 1,000 to 1,500 years before this time. The Jews had been down in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. God said, I'm going to take them from their slavery. I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to bring them to the land in Israel, the promised land, Canaan. Moses went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. That's what the Lord says. Pharaoh's like, who is the Lord that I should obey him? The Lord went on to show him who he was. Never say that to the Lord. <laughs> Who's the Lord that I should obey him? Oh, no, there's going to be some pain in your life if you say that. But anyway, so so there were 10 plagues on Egypt, the last of which was the uh, the death of the firstborn of every person in Egypt. And... um. Uh, uh, the death of the firstborn male in, in, in Egypt. And uh, an angel, the destroyer, went throughout the land and and took away, cut off, killed at the firstborn of, of everything in the land. And the Lord told the Jews, look, so that the angel of death passes over you, I want you, each family, each household to kill a lamb Sacrifice it. Put the blood of the lamb on the on top of the door, on, a, on the side on each of the doorposts. It was the sign, actually, of the cross. And when the angel comes by, he will pass over it. And what happened in that in that uh, on that night that the firstborn in all of Egypt were taken; their lives were taken away except in the houses that had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And when the angel came by those doors, those houses where the blood of the lamb was by the doorpost, he didn't ask. He did not ask. Well, have the people in this house been good enough? Have, have, have you know, any, any rapists in this house, any liars, any cheaters, any stealers? None of that. He was only looking at one thing. The blood of the Lamb. When a person is saved, a person is saved, rather, by God from judgment, from a life of, of, of confusion and purposelessness and, and, and vanity. We're saved from this life by coming to the Lord based upon one thing: the fact that Jesus. Is our Passover lamb, in fact he 's called that first Corinthians five verse seven for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed and and when we when we come to the Lord and we put our faith in him, you know at that point, the issue is not what we have done in our past, lying, cheating. Five marriages, abortion, you know, killing, or just subtle pride, which is, the Bible says, is the sin of the devil, worse than all of the above. God doesn't look at any of that. He looks to see whether there has been faith placed in the blood of the Lamb, and that's it. When we go to God day by day, we are coming to Him. And the Bible says we can come to Him boldly, not because, well, we were good that day. But because of one thing, the blood of the Lamb. In Hebrews, it says the blood of the Lamb has opened up access so that we can boldly come in. And, and just as Misty said uh, in her talk today about Operation Christmas Child, it, for God so loved the world, He so loved us that He came and sent his only begotten son, to die and shed his blood for us. And so each year, Jesus went up to the Passover festival with his parents. And, and I wonder if at this point he knew when he saw those lambs being slaughtered, and they were slaughtered every year, and there was a reenactment of what happened on that night, whether he knew by this point. I think undoubtedly he did listening to people like the best rabbis in the land, that he was going to be the Passover lamb. That it was himself that was going to be slain. A lamb without defect. A lamb that was perfect. And just that every year reminder. See, he didn't have to be there either. It's was like Mary. He wasn't required by law. The Lord sent him. To just to prepare Him, to prepare Him for the cross. The Bible says it was for the joy that was set before Him, meaning all of us in this room being gathered into a relationship with Him, it was for the joy of that that He went willingly as the Passover Lamb to the cross. I think that that is a, that is a, a profound, intriguing, wonderful, fascinating teaching uh, that Luke provide for us, the Passover lamb and Jesus just walking into that. Okay, we will pick up in chapter 3 uh, uh, next week if the worship team could come up and if you could rise for prayer and a final worship song. Fa- Father, we just thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son into the world, Lord. Yes, he was a great example. Yes, he's our Lord. But supremely, he's the one who died for us. He is our Passover lamb, Lord. We thank you for that. We remember that this morning. The ocean of grace, the canopy of grace over us, the safety net of grace underneath us, and just the grace that lives in our hearts. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you're taking us from glory to glory with him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.